The Ottawa Senators have more than just a team. They have a bright future ahead of them, so long as they play their cards right. The Philadelphia Flyers in present day have a pretty good roster, but a fair amount of question marks after this season. The Pittsburgh Penguins are a good regular season team, but beyond that, we're not exactly sure. And the San Jose Sharks were like the Senators a few years ago, trying to find out exactly what they are and moving on from there. In our off-season preview breakdown, part six of eight has a lot of intrigue. Episode 286 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go to everyone's favorite Canadian team, the Ottawa Senators, uh, uh, for Ottawa fans mostly, not for the rest of Canada, but I call them Canada's favorite team, uh, we're going to talk about uh, another Canadian team making news. Uh, that would be the Edmonton Oilers, Brett, uh, making a pretty decent signing. Yeah, it's uh, definitely um, an interesting one. Uh, yeah, this, I guess we're, because we're almost, we're more than half done with this, um, series, it's, it's interesting, we're now getting to the point where, like, trades, we've already, we pretty much have covered all the big trades, and, and all that stuff, so, we did talk about this when we were talking about Edmonton, but Kyler Yamamoto, he gets a, uh, one year, a 1.75 million, um, a contract, so that's just like another kind of prove-it contract. He kind of had a, a bit of a down year this past year, and maybe you can attribute it to the pandemic, or maybe you can attribute it to the fact that Puyu Larvi is, um, you know, kind of had some room there uh, last year as well, and kind of took some of his uh, ice time there, but um, but yeah, at the same time, this is like a, a good like prove-it contract. Obviously, like for any like for both Pool Party and Yamamoto, they have to kind of prove that they they know what they're doing um, because because of how their contract is, or their cap situation is structured with McDavid and Drysdale making so much money, they kind of have to make these kind of short-term deals and stuff. So this is like a time for Yamamoto to to prove that he can actually, you know, that last year was an aberration. And, and I, I don't know. I think he could do it. This could look out to be a, a pretty good contract for him um, after the season. Yeah, just taking a look at his um, track record on Dauber prospects. Um, in his first nine games with the Oilers, he had three assists. That was back in 2017-18. He missed the playoffs that year. So he got his first taste of the big leagues did reasonably well under the circumstances and uh, only averaged 12 minutes 53 seconds per game over those nine games the next year he averages 13 minutes and four seconds per game a slight uptick in 17 games the numbers don't really improve though only a golden assist for two points in 17 games Uh, so the points per game not where it needs to be and then we get to uh, the second half of the 2019-20 season where McDavid is hurt and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins basically carry this secondary line and Kaylor Yamamoto 
plays a key role in that. 11 goals, 15 assists for a total of 26 points in 27 games, just under a point per game. Uh, so over 82 games, that's a 79-point pace. Um, on top of uh, registering 74, or sorry, 44 shots on goal and a very decent 25% uh, shooting percent on the nose, he also comes up with 45 hits. So over a hit per game, um, only two of his 11 goals were power play goals, so he could score uh, many other ways in all situations, which is good. Um, and like you mentioned, Brett, a down year, um, 52 games played, 21 points, eight of them goals. So his points per game goes down to from 0.96 to 0.40. That's a 33-point pace over 82 games, 69 shots on goal, a not-so-nice 11.6 shooting percentage compared to his shooting percentage from last year, which I said was 25. Um and uh, in that season, he had 52 hits in 52 games, so that's exactly a hit per game. So the hits per game actually goes down a bit there. Comparing that to his ice time, he averaged 17.23 in that big year where Nugent Hopkins and Drysdale uh, featured on his line. And his ice time last year went down by almost a full minute. It went down 59 seconds to a total of 16.22 per game. He averaged last year over 52 games. So I definitely think the upside is there. Again, only five foot eight, weighs 153 pounds, so not the biggest player, not the tallest player either. But at 22 years of age, going to be 23 later this month in September, he's got plenty of room to grow. And I think in the right situation, uh, can, can really deliver for the Edmonton Oilers. And taking a look at the line combinations uh, as the season went along, uh, at the start of the year, it was actually pretty decent with uh, 15 points in 30 games. So that's a 0. Uh, 0.50 point per game pace per game. And then he got uh, six points over his final 22 and a single goal during that stretch. And during that stretch, he was mostly playing on uh, all, along uh, the lines of Drysdale, Nugent, Hopkins. But uh, sometimes you would see a little bit of Connor McDavid. You would see guys like Dominic Cahoon as well. Um, so it, there wasn't, I don't think, as much consistency in his game. I think part of that uh, was because he kind of struggled to find chemistry. And uh, it could have been the pandemic, Brett, like you said. Or in, it, it could have been something else entirely. So, um I'm sure a lot of Oilers fans are glued to the TVs, wondering what this kid's going to do. Um, a, like I said, a very reasonable prove-it deal. And I would I would call it um, probably the best move that Ken Holland has made this entire offseason in terms of value. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair to say, although that's not very hard <laughs> to do right now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, that he has, like, oh, about a hit per game and he's like five foot eight because usually those smaller guys mm -hmm. don't really hit that much. So it's kind of like a, a weird hybrid where it's, he like acts like he's six foot three when he's five foot eight actually. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of have hope that he'll he'll live up to that contract. But of course, it's like you know he has one more year left, and and maybe it has something to do with the fact that Drysdale and McDavid are on their line, and, and maybe he could be like a trade chip or something like that. Um, eventually if, if things go south um 
Okay. Um, and then the other news that I just realized is not actually on Cap Friendly, but I did want to mention it because I saw it reported by Kevin Weeks and even Chara, who um, who I saw is on, um, he's on Instagram. Um, he he's going to the Islanders, um, which means that the Islanders are probably now the oldest team in the league, um, <laughs> high average age. Um, but uh, I would assume it's a one-year deal. I don't know the full contract because again, it's not uncap friendly. But um, but yeah, I guess uh, Lamarillo has to figure out how he's going to sign both Parise and Chara because um, they like they made like four, five signings on um, on a, I think it was Friday. Um, so so now it's just uh, yeah, it's it's a weird. Thing, but yeah, I guess it's uh, you know it's kind of a testament to how conditioned Zdeno Chara is on the aisle, um that he can still play and still fetch a an NHL contract um, no matter where he can go and maybe he'll add some veteran experience to the Islanders team um, and and it could provide something for them. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't hate this as much as the Washington signing because I guess it's just like. Like, it was fresh after um, he left. But, like, this time it's like, okay, you're, you're just going to the Islanders. It's not too bad. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I kind of find it is, it's a situation where everything has come full circle. Right. This is the team oh, that drafted cool. Zdeno Chera. Uh, this was a team run by Mike Milbury. And if there's one thing you know by teams run by Milbury, um, there are some questionable moves that lead to uh, questionable, um, I'll call it a career path for the Islanders. It wasn't very good under Milbury. And uh, Chera became part of the infamous Alexi Ashen trade that turned the Ottawa Senators into annual playoff contenders. Because they got Zidane Chera, they also got the second overall pick that turned into Jason Spezza. And Spezza was a guy that became a franchise player, even though Chera didn't really sign long-term with Ottawa, he still played four really good seasons for them and was a key part of their defense for those four seasons. So Ottawa got four years of pretty darn good Sedano Chera before he signed as a free agent with the Bruins. And for the Islanders to go from that to the Garcineau regime to the Lamorello regime and the Barry Trotz regime where they're starting to make the playoffs and go deep in the playoffs to have, even if it's a 40 plus year old Zdeno Chara joining your team, it's a huge, huge boost because he was there when things were good. And now he's going back to the same organization that traded him away in a trade that really didn't, looked good for them for many, many years, even before Yashin got bought out. It, it just shows how far this organization has come in the past couple of years, where they were 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, the, the fact that Cher is willing to go back and say, yeah, I'll give this another shot, I think speaks volumes to the culture they built. Also, apparently he thinks he still has his uh, fisherman uniform, which is in my opinion, all the more reason to bring it back for at least one more game. Right. I don't know what Islanders fans are afraid of. You can take one more game of the Fisherman jerseys, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. Those are pretty ugly. 
Um, but yeah, I had forgotten. That. They're unique, at least. They may be ugly, but they're unique. They're not as bad as the Burger King jerseys. Those are the worst. Yeah, those are pretty bad. Although, I don't know, in a weird way, I kind of like like them. Because like, sometimes it's like jerseys that are so ugly that it's like uh, they're kind of cool, like gritty or something. Like he's so not a mascot that it's like it's cool that he's a, a mascot. Um, they could pull it off, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Anyways, uh, we're going to go to the actual um previews now and we're going to talk about steve's ottawa senators um everyone's favorite canadian team, time. except for maybe the, the maple leafs people like the maple leafs more oilers i think they get some fan base in montreal with their recent stuff but yeah <laughs> ottawa ottawa i guess has a like it's it's kind of like a cool little like us against the world kind of situation for them, which is interesting yeah um they actually they also had a pretty decent um, season, um, although they started off weak or badly. But um, but yeah, yeah, they started off very bad. But like towards the end, like they had like guys like Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson, um, Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla, um, even like Shane Pinto. I, I think Shane Pinto played a little bit. Colin White. Um, they all like you know it, it was like oh this is a nice group and of course Thomas Shabbat so. Um, yeah, so that, that was like a that's like a nice group of uh, young guys that they have. Um, so, anyways, um, in terms of ads, they didn't really add too much. Um, Michael Delzato um, and Nick Holden, who they got in that uh, data off trade, um, and then in terms of subtractions, Joey Decord, which I know Steve was upset about, but he goes to Seattle. Um, and then Dadanoff, as I mentioned. Uh, Derek Stepan is also a subtraction, and Ryan Dezingle is also on his way out as well. Um, in terms of re-signings, well, there is a big one right yet, and, and Steve can't stop talking about it. Like, when will they sign Brady Kachuk? They haven't yet, uh, but they have signed Drake Batherson um, to a six-year deal, $4.975 million, uh, which is... Uh, or, you know, uh, per, per year. Um, so that, that's not a, a terrible contract for, for Drake. Uh, he was, he kind of uh, held his own this past year. I'm going to pull up his stats in a second. But, um, but yeah, I, I like this move, and it, it seems like this is going to be a, a part of their, their core in the future. Um, yeah, he had 34 points in 56 games, so that's, that's pretty good. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it, it seems like he um, he's well on his way to being like a legitimate NHL player uh, for for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, Drake Batherson kind of gives me like Mark Stone vibes in the sense that not a whole lot of people knew about them when they were drafted. Um, for for those of you who don't remember the 2017 draft, the Ottawa Senators had four picks. Because that was the year they went on that playoff run, uh, so they they had to sell a couple of their picks uh, to get some assets to make that happen. Um, but those four picks, they pretty well nailed. Um, the first round pick that they got was Shane Bowers, who they flipped for uh, parts of two seasons of Matt Duchesne. 
And even though it didn't turn out well for Ottawa, you still got a fair amount of production out of Matt Duchesne. You got uh, some uh, some spare parts for him and a pretty good package with Columbus. So you, you got some value for Shane Bowers there. And Shane Bowers hasn't really played any sort of NHL hockey uh, since he's uh, joined the Avalanche. So uh, for all intents and purposes, we don't know where his NHL career is going to end up. But then they get... Get this, Alex Formanson and Drake Batherson in the mid to late rounds of that draft year. Um, and Batherson, I believe, was fourth round pick. Mark Stone in his draft year was, what, like a sixth or a seventh round pick? And yeah, there was a bit of promise offensively, but I don't think too many people were going to go out there and say, oh, yeah, this guy's a future top line forward, captain, material, one of the hardest working two-way forwards in the National Hockey League. I don't think anyone saw that. And Ottawa's credit isn't really keeping guys, but developing guys, yes. They've developed a lot of guys uh, in the mid to late rounds. Ryan DeSingle, who we just mentioned, was another one of those late round uh, draft picks who went on to put up some decent numbers with the Sens. I think Drake Batherson is well on his way to doing that. I don't think the contract is an overpay. I actually think it's uh, kind of a bargain. And I definitely think um, when it's all said and done in a couple of years, as soon as a couple of years from now, you will see Drake Batherson being a consistent top six forward for the Sens and being used in key situations, late in games, on the power play, just in regular even strength situations. He's going to be all over the place. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, it seems for, like, and and you and you saw it in you saw it in the AHL too yeah, uh, in I Belleville. His two years there, he just flat out dominated the entire league. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's interesting too because he was a fourth round pick, and it seemed like um, I I think we first really started paying attention to him was in those AHL um, seasons. So it's. It seems like it's a good test of like how good you can be if you if you play well in the AHL. Um, chances are good that you're going to be a a decent NHL player. I guess it's not like a full transition, but it, it's it's a pretty good uh, indicator. Um, so yeah, I, I like this move, and I'm glad that you are um, as, a, as a fan of the team. Um, it turns out I I was just looking here. I guess there's only two players on the Sens. Team who have who have a contract from 2026 to 2027 season, so that's like five years from now, and that's Batherson and Chapat. So that, those are those are pretty good keys to, to get in on. Um, maybe Brady Kachuk will will join them pretty soon. Um, and then uh, lastly, I guess we also have Logan Brown. We don't really have to talk too much about him, but um, but he's an interesting case as well, just because. Um, he was a first-round pick, 11th overall in 2016, um, and he only played in one game this past year. Um, but um, and he never really has gotten going. He's only had nine points in 30 uh, games in these four years that he's played for Ottawa. Um, but but then again, it's like in that one game he played, he had uh, nine minutes and 40 seconds of ice time in that in that standpoint. So. So there's always, uh, you know, maybe there is something more, but he ended up signing with um, Ottawa for, oh, I just had it here. Um, 
Oh. It was for the league minimum for a year, seven hundred and fifty thousand. I, I don't know. I, I I could see him maybe uh, making some noise, although maybe it's like a bottom six role to start or something like that. But um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, as the, the 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 thing with Logan Brown, just before we move yeah. on, Brett, is sure. I think he needs to change his scenery. Yeah. Um, I can definitely see him getting flipped at some point between now and the end of the season, just because like. And it's not that Logan Brown isn't a good enough NHL player. I definitely think he's still got some upside. But I think in terms of exploring your options to the fullest, there have been several chances for Logan Brown, a top 10 pick in 2016, which is five years ago, to make an impact on this Ottawa Senators squad. And you have guys like Alex Formanton, a middle-round pick up the depth chart. We just talked about Drake Batherson. He's another one. Uh, Brady Kachuk, the centerpiece of the Sens offense. Uh, Tim Stutzla, who just finished his rookie season. Josh Norris, who just finished his rookie season. How many more guys are going to go up the depth chart ahead of Logan Brown? I, I just don't see a spot where he can really thrive and excel, and that's why I think a change of scenery is probably I- inevitable. And it, it might be due to a mix of bad luck with injuries, um, Maybe he wasn't working hard enough. I honestly don't know. Um, what I do have a gut feeling on is I think the ship has sailed with Ottawa and Logan Brown, and I think both parties should be uh, looking for alternatives because I, I don't see it working out, unfortunately. Yeah, that's um, unfortunate. But, yeah, I, I could – yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there is a change of scene for him, but we'll see. Um, all right, so now we're going to go to the prospects. Uh, best prospect is, um, I guess, Jake Sanderson. Uh, he was the um, he was the fifth overall pick last year, um, and uh, yeah, so he um, in he played for North Dakota uh, this past year, along with uh, another guy, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, as well. But um, but yeah, he had a uh, Sanderson had 15 points in 22 games. Two of those uh, points were goals, so that's 13 assists. Um, and then um, and then he also played a little bit in the World Juniors where he had two assists in seven games. Um, it seems like just from all the scouting reports that I read of him, it's, he's more of a, like, yeah, he, he can put up points from every, um, but he's more of like a two-way defenseman and things like that. It looks like he's going to take another year in North Dakota, which I guess is a smart thing because then you have like guys like Thomas Shabbat um, in the system, maybe Eric Brandstrom also takes the next step, um, and Bernard Docker is also in the mix as well. So, so maybe uh, you have those guys have a hold on it, but then Jake Sanderson could be a legitimate, uh, good, nice player for them. But um, but I think he's more of like uh, he's good on defense. He's also good on offense. So so that's something that like for a young team that's that's important for. Um, for any of these, you know, teams is that you need to focus on your defense, and it seems like uh, Jake Sanderson is going to be that guy. We've talked about in the past when it came to Jake Sanderson versus Jamie Drysdale uh, in the 2020 draft, who should the sentence take, who's the better defenseman. And while I do think that Jamie Drysdale might be the better offensive defenseman, and probably offers uh, some two-way perks to his game. I think all around Jake yep. Sanderson 
it, it wasn't as much of a surprise when the Sens got him fifth overall instead of uh, taking Drysdale. And watching him in that OT marathon against Minnesota Duluth, the University of Minnesota Duluth, watching that game drag on, yet in the third or fourth overtime, seeing Jake Sanderson make composed, quick decisions, looking cool and calm as a cucumber while doing so, and just making it so effortless, doing that as a rookie at the NCAA level, you don't see too many defensemen doing that. And that was my first sign of, I think Ottawa made the right decision, and this guy's going to be good. Um, Physically, he is uh, 6'2", weighs 190 pounds, according to uh, Elite Prospects. And uh, in their draft guide, they describe him as calculated, disciplined, physical, and creative. And I think that checks a lot of boxes uh, for the Sens as to what they're looking for in an all-around defenseman. As you mentioned, Brett, Yes, they have Thomas Shabbat, but they also have guys like Eric Brandstrom, uh, guys like Lassie Thompson in the mix as well, Jacob Bernard Docker. They have a lot of guys with offensive potential, but they need that all-around two-way defenseman. And it, it, it just felt like a no-brainer that they would that they would take Sanderson uh, when they did, where they did. I, I just see a lot of positives in this kid's game that are going to translate to the NHL level and uh, the Ottawa Senators um, fan base is going to be pretty excited to see this kid play I can't wait till he turns pro yeah it should be exciting even though yeah it's like he he may not be like an exciting prospect to watch but it, it is I, I'm, I'm going to be excited for you because uh, over the years I've kind of, I've kind <laughs> yeah. of like I, until he faces your until he faces your Bruins right, then maybe not I, I root for him only when they don't play the Bruins um, but, yeah. yeah and when and whenever he uh, makes the American Olympic team yep fair um, if if that happens um, but um, yeah it, it's already, funny it's funny for a Canadian team we have a lot of American players yeah I mean I'm already looking forward to rooting for Brady Kachuk. Um, Team America, but um, but yeah, so yeah, I don't know. It's uh, definitely um, it should be exciting for you guys. Um, as for wild card prospects, um, I actually let uh, so usually just a behind the scenes on our podcast decision stuff. I usually I kind of take control of like who's the wild card prospect, and Steve usually gives me a list of guys, and sometimes I take his uh, choices, sometimes I don't. Um, <laughs> Steve knows. I don't know how annoying I might be to him. Yeah, it's a it, it's a democratic process. Or just like, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> and I I just send off starting ideas. And just like, uh, I'm not sure if he's right. gonna think the same way that I do. But it, it mostly the wild cards. We have differing opinions on that. We usually yeah. have a good eye of which player's the best player for most teams yeah, in terms of prospects. For the most part. It's the wild like, card where it's a where it's a bit of a coin flip at times. Although like if you take like the example for like Nashville for instance, it's like, yeah, we you had Askarov as the top prospect and then I was thinking like you can make a case that Tomasino is. Then I mentioned Tomasino during our podcast. But anyways, for a wild card prospect, I allowed Steve to pick whoever he wanted because it's his team. Um and, I mean, there are a lot of good choices here for Ottawa. Uh, Ridley Grieve, which has probably been my choice. Uh, Shane Pinto is another one. Um, Lassie Thompson. 
uh, Formington, uh, Tyler Clevin, even um, Igor Sokolov um, could be a, like a sneaky pick uh, eventually. But, Abramov um, is probably another one. Abramov, yeah. Although I think he's going to be in the KHL for like a couple more years, so so maybe it's uh, um, we may not end up seeing him. But yeah, Abramov would be a good choice, or maybe even Tyler Boucher. Although we've talked a lot about him already. <laughs> um, but uh, but Steve went with Mad Sogard, um, and it was mostly due to the fact that, or I assume mostly due to the fact that uh, Seattle took Joey Decord. Um, he was this, uh, the Suns pick in the expansion draft, and I know that Steve uh, thought that this guy would be the, uh, or Decord would be the, the next franchise goalie for the Senators. Um, not to take anything away from Matt Murray or even um, Philip, uh, sorry, uh, Philip Gustafson, but, um, <coughs> but yeah, it seemed like uh, 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 you, you had more of a, an affinity for um, for Joey Decord, which is fine, uh, but uh, but yeah. So uh, so you decided to add uh, Mad Sogard. Um, he played um, in Denmark as a loan um, for sixteen games, or he played in the Denmark league because he is Danish. Um, he is. Um, he's six seven. Jeez, <laughs> I just saw that. <laughs> So, um, he's 6'7", he's uh, 20 years old, so he was a 2019 pick. I think I remember when this happened, uh, or when he was drafted. Um, but anyways, the, uh, the belt, he played, um, he had a 922 save percentage in, in those 16 games. That's all they tell me on every prospect. They don't even tell me his GAA, let alone his record. So, um, so I don't know. But then... What was telling is is that he goes to the AHL for seven games, and he actually does pretty well. He has a 9.17 save percentage, a 2.4 a GAA, and um, he wins all those seven games. Um, so obviously, we want to see a little bit more of, out of him. Um, I guess he played a little bit of out of Medicine Hat Tigers in the WHL the year before that, where he had a 9.08 save percentage and a 2.53 GAA in 37 games um, with uh, 21 went well, 21 13 and 2 but um, but yeah so like obviously seven games this past year is um, and it, it seems like he did pretty well for those, them but um, but yeah at the same time you never know with these goalies and you would like to see I, I would like to see him in the AHL at least for a couple more games um, instead of just putting him out there, um, especially when like the Senators aren't really expected to make um, um, the jump just yet. Although I know, I don't know if you heard this, but I think Melnick said that, or Dorian said that he was going, um, that the Senators are no longer rebuilding and they're like going to the next step, step into the process or something like that. Kind of yeah, something to the effect of the rebuild is over. Now the yeah. the next part of the plan begins, or something to that effect. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous because it's like just just wait a couple of games before you can say that. Cause it's like, yeah, or at least sign Brady Kachuk before declaring that. Exactly that too. Yeah, just like at least like yeah, do something like that. But um, but yeah. So uh, um, yeah. What do you what do you have on Mad Sogard? 
So, um, first off, I don't know if you heard, he's very tall. As Brett mentioned, 6'7", weighs 205. And that's one of the main things that I saw when he got drafted. There was also the secondary storyline um, for most. Uh, and the main one that I remember, there was this um, hockey player named Raphael Lavoie that was still available when the Ottawa Senators were making their second round pick. Um, in fact, they might have had multiple picks in that second round, and they passed on him once, maybe twice. And Matt Sogard was one of the players that they picked ahead of Raphael Lebois. So I'm thinking in my head, well, wait, they already have Philip Gustafson, they have Marcus Hogberg. Why are they drafting a young goaltender? And fast forward a couple of years later, I was chatting with one of my colleagues at work that uh, actually does play-by-play for the Ottawa 67s. Um, in the past, has done uh, some play-by-play uh, in the American Hockey League, actually watching Matt Sogard a little bit last year. And he says he wouldn't be surprised if Matt Sogard ends up being Ottawa's goalie of the future. And this was before the Sens lost a cord to Seattle on the expansion drafts. So Decord was still in lands. Philip Gustafson through that remarkable stretch with the Ottawa Senators. Um, his GAA save percentage, his records. Um, Ottawa did very well in the games that Gustafson played the, this past season. And yet, there's a circle of Sens fans that still go, yeah, this Matt Sogar kid, though, might be something. He might be the future of Sens goaltending. Yeah. And... Again, let's not forget, they still have Matt Murray in the fold for uh, a couple more years as well. So that's why I think it's a little bit of a wild card is because of the young goalies that they have in place and also the hype to him and also his size, his athleticism. According to um, his profile in the league prospects, he's a guy that moves very well for his size. He can go uh, into the butterfly at uh, quick speeds. Very, very athletic. Uh, his lower half is pretty good, the way he controls uh, his movement there. His upper body is able to cover a huge portion of the upper net as well. And there are a lot of guys that are over 6'3", six, 6'4", six, um, that have had injury problems, in particular Ben Bishop. But you see these guys play um Andre Vasilevsky being another guy that's around that 6'3", 6'4", range. And when they're on top of their game, they can be one of the best goalies in the league. Right. So that's that's where the intrigue for Matt Sogard begins for me, is where he fits into the Sens uh, scheme of things moving forward. Does he have the athleticism to become a mainstay in the NHL? Uh, and based on what I've seen, based on the numbers that I'm looking at, there's no reason to say why he can't be an NHL goaltender. I'm just not sure if it's going to translate into auto or not. But now the court is out of the picture. Now that uh, the Sens have opted not to re-sign Marcus Hogberg, uh, he's, he hasn't signed with anyone, but so uh, they've already said they moved on from Hogberg, so he's not coming back. There's going to be at least a window of a year, year and a half, maybe two years for Sogard to develop because Murray and Gustafson are probably going to be the tandem moving forward. 
And this is around the time where we start to see if Matt Silgard has an NHL future. These next year, these next couple of years, definitely this year and perhaps next year, they're going to be pivotal in his development because he's going to get a lot of AHL action and he's probably going to be the number one goalie leading the Belleville Senators moving forward. So this is a, a pivotal point in his development that uh, – Hopefully he excels in, and uh, I'm interested uh, to see um, how things go for him um, moving forward. Maybe uh, may- maybe we could even see the tandem of Sogard and Forsberg, because uh, I don't know if you remember Brett, but uh, Anton Forsberg's also back with the Sens, so they also have that option. They could go with Forsberg and Murray to start the year, or maybe they bring down uh, – or maybe they bring down um, – uh, Forsberg to the AHL and they keep Gustafson up. There are a lot of uh, interesting uh, options there in between the pipes for Ottawa outside of Matt Murray. So so that level of intrigue is mostly why I pick Sogard as the wild card because, yes, Shane Pinto offers a lot, but I think he can be a top six forward. I don't think he's a wild card. I think he's a top six forward. Um, Tyler Boucher is, is definitely a wild card, but I think he's got – at worst, bottom six potential there. Um, you, you look at um, who's one of uh, the other guys we mentioned, Ridley Gregg, same thing. Um, a guy that I think could be a fixture on their line. But I don't know what really Matt Sogard is going to be based on the amount of guys they have in the picture and what could happen in the next couple of years. Um, so so that's why that's why I made the call with Sogard there. But honestly, when I was debating, it, it was a tough matchup because you can make a case for a lot of guys in this position. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see for sure. Um, and also, before we go to the next team, uh, just uh, sign Brady Kachuk, Pierre Dorian, so uh, Steve can relax <laughs> and stop bothering me with it. It's just... It's just okay, so, so, nice. uh, so yeah, um, uh, he, here's here's what I'll say, and I'm not going to say too much because I'm pretty sure Brady Kachuk will get signed at some point. But I'm going to say most of that. But now this is what I will say: if the Ottawa Senators somehow mishandle this, their rebuild is ruined. They need Brady Kachuk in the fold. They need to pay him. They need him as their leader. And they can't afford to not match an offer sheet and take the four first-round draft picks or whatever the hell the price tag is they get for letting Brady walk elsewhere. They cannot let Brady Kachuk go to another team after three years as an RFA. That would completely... Ruin, not jeopardize, ruin their rebuild, and it sets them back even further. So, yes, this, this, we talk about the Ottawa Senators winning a Stanley Cup or contending for a Stanley Cup. There are several moments, several key moments that have to happen before that happens. This is the biggest moment in Sense history. Because I don't know if any of those future moments have a chance at happening without Brady Kachuk staying in Ottawa yep. right now. So that needs to happen first. Please, Piers, 
sit down, get it done, make it happen before Matthew Kachuk comes up with another headline to feed Sportsnet and sends <laughs> sends Nation into a freaking frenzy because they're 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 worried that Kachuk might not sign. Because it's easy, honestly, it's easy to get under the skin of the Ottawa Senators fan base. Just because of how bad everything's gone, their inability to keep players. If, if there's a rumor out there that, I don't know, like let's say Tampa Bay offers Sheets Brady Kachuk, they're just like, yeah, but, yeah, of course, of course they would. Of course they would offer Sheet him. Like, why wouldn't they? He's Brady Kachuk. He's great. We can't keep anybody, you know? Yep. Like that, that's, that's the kind of panic that this fan base can't have. Uh, nor should have they need Brady Kachuk and the team knows how important Brady Kachuk is and how bad it will look if he walks away for whatever reason so it will get done but I'm just warning people now the fan base is what what's left of the fan base whatever trust is left with Melnick it'll be fully evaporated if Brady Kachuk is gone Yep, that's totally fair. And in fairness uh, to Dorian, in the sense, they did sign Shabbat to a long-term deal. They also signed Drake mm-hmm. Matherson to a long-term deal. So we know that what they're yep. capable of. And, you know, it doesn't seem like they've given up on this just yet. But, yes, I agree with you, obviously. <laughs> if, if they fail oh. to, to sign him, um, they, they kind of um, – it, it's, it's yeah, it's going to be uh, – Back to laughing stocks like the Buffalo Sabers. Um, mm, that Buffalo's a bigger laughing stock, even if Ottawa botches this. No, like, no, no, no. I, I, I think I think they're they're in the same territory though. Um, because yeah, like, they're like, they're close, but the I Mark, still think Buffalo's in a bigger. The, the Mark Stone stuff, that Matt Duchesne trade, Eric yeah. Carlson trade, that's still like you know that's still. Uh, um, evident in, in people's mind, but yes, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, but if someone offers Sheets Brady Kachuk, then they get four first-round draft picks. I don't even know if the Sabres can get four first-round draft picks by trading Eichel in his big cap hit. Yeah, and is fun. no move. That kicks in after this year. <laughs> that's like you're, you're bragging about like the worst-case scenario. <laughs> like, I mean, so- I mean, like that situation, no no fan base should, be, should have that wished upon them. One one thing I will also say about the Brady Kachuk thing, and I have right, no idea if this is if this is true or not, but I have a theory. Okay. You don't know how the plan is going to go from here on out. There's only so much you can base your decision on, and I would argue the second half of this past season, where the Sens were doing good, is the only thing that Brady Kachuk can base um, his future in Ottawa on. The plan that's going on, because the plan is just getting started. They haven't really started to add pieces. So for Brady Kachuk to really commit to this organization, it's a very tough sell. So maybe part of this is if we give management, if we kind of like, I don't know, test their patience, but like, you know, if, if we're if we're playing like a little bit of hardball and like they really want to sign me, if they're willing to go around all of these hurdles to keep me aboard, then I feel like they'll do the same when it's time to keep my buddy Josh Norris in town right. or keep Tim Stutzla oh, no, or totally keep Jake saying. Sanderson. <laughs> yeah. So this, it, this could be, again, I don't know for sure, but 
I have a theory that this could be part of Brady Kachuk's plan of, okay, let's see how serious these guys are about the plan, about keeping guys here. And maybe this is his way of testing the organization's limits. I don't know. I doubt that's part of the thing. He probably just wants to get paid like a lot of people. But it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if this is also a back burner plot in this. That it's more than just the money in the term. It's is this serious about buying into their plan, about really committing to the players. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so now we go to the Flyers. This is actually probably going to be the team that we're going to talk a lot more about. Oh, man. Out of all of them. Yeah, this, a, this is the busiest team in the NHL by yeah, far this offseason. They made a season. ton of moves. And although we've talked about a lot of their trade partners, we didn't. We kind of almost purposely didn't talk about like the, other side, the Flyers' side of everything. So um, that's okay. Um, so I guess I'll just do it this way. Uh, let's go by additions. They added Ryan Ellis. We've talked about that already. They added Ristolainen. We talked about the Sabres side of that, but haven't yet on the on the Flyers. They uh, signed Keith Yandel. They trade for Cam Atkinson, and then the big one. They signed Martin Jones, um, our our biggest like uh, punching bag here on Lays Them Up. Um, and then in terms of uh, subtractions, and I'll get into everything else um, after I say the subtractions. Uh, Carter Twarski, um, I think that's how you pronounce his name. So, uh, sorry if you're listening. Um, you're, uh, he's the, he was the Seattle pick. Jacob Voracek um, is a subtraction. Uh, Shane goes to spare uh, for nothing. Uh, Tyler Myers, or not Tyler Myers, Philip Myers. Um, and then Nolan Patrick and Robert Haig are also subtractions as well. Um, and um, I, I think we, we kind of talked about the, Shane, the, the Ryan Ellis deal when it happened because that was before we talked about it. So I'm going to skip that. But then what, what ended up happening was the kind of like it was the same day as the Seth Jones trade. It was like leading up to it. But everyone was giving it was like one of the most successful trades that the Sabres have had uh, because they managed to get a first round pick. Um, a second round pick in 2023 and Robert Haig for Ris- Rasmus Ristolainen. And, you know, when you look at Rasmus Ristolainen's stats and even if you, like, look at his uh, fan, like, he's he has, like, he had over a hundred, he had 193 hits, where I guess we're big in hits now, in 49 games this past year. Um, he, he usually is in, like, the 200s in, in, in terms of hits and uh, usually high up there in blocks as well. So he's like a peripherals ma- uh, maniac, basically. In you a... said 193 hits in 49 games this year. Yep. Uh, so that's an average of that's a, almost an average of four hits per game. Yeah, it's basically. 3.93. So so anyways, he. But what's what's interesting is is like everyone on the advanced statistics, like community, ha- like hates this guy because he uh, he had. Uh, Minus 18 last year. Um, I don't think his like possession numbers are. Ter- oh yeah, he has a he had a 43 uh, Corsi four percentage this past year, um, and he's like that's like that's a little bit under his average, which is 44.7, which is very bad even still as a career average. 
Um, yeah, like like which which benefits the team yeah. the least, hits or turnovers? Right, like, right, right. But what, what's weird is, is, like, I'm looking at his takeaways and giveaways. It's like, he doesn't really, I mean, I guess he does give away a ton. But, like, this past year, he took, he had a takeaway, he had 12 takeaways, but then he had 11 giveaways this past year. So, it's like, that's not too bad. But then, like, you know, you go to the following year, it seems like he always has more giveaways than he has takeaways. Um, or, like, especially in the 2018-2019 season, where he had 44 giveaways for 23 takeaways. So, it's not like that, like, Rasmus Ristolainen isn't, like, the, like, like, he's still, like, uh, like I can understand why manage, general managers would want this kind of guy. Um, oh, by the way, I, I missed his point totals. He had 18 points in 49 games um, this past year, 33 points in 69 games. So, again, that's, that's pretty good for fantasy hockey, but obviously it's like when you look, when you actually watch him play, it's like what what is he doing on the ice half the time? Um, so, like, I can understand why GMs like this type of player, but, like, it's not, like, to the effect of giving up a first-round pick, a, a decent defenseman in Robert Haig, and another pick, like, even if it's, you know, like, two years from now. Um, so... So that's, I, I don't really understand that. Um, Ryan Ellis, I actually like, so that, that's a good move for them. Uh, they also added uh, Keith Yandel, which I also kind of like too, although he's another one where his defense isn't great either, um, and he's more of like a power play specialist, which, you know, is, is helpful. But at the same time, you have a guy like Ivan Provorov, um, Who's, who's decent. You have Cam York, who we're about to talk about pretty soon, and he could uh, be a power play guy as well. So um, it's like, what what's what's going on? Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's just like, um, so I guess they added uh, Ryan Ellis, R- Ristolainen, and Yandel, who are all left-handed defensemen, I also found out, which is interesting, too. Um, and and you get rid of Shane Goes to Spare, which I guess, to be fair, he's not like known to be his a great def- like defense on you know he doesn't have great shutdown defense. Um, Philip Myers and Robert Hager, the other d- defenseman that they let go of, um, and I guess it's like partially just to help Carter Hart um, and uh, hopefully Carter Hart can actually get back to what we're used to or we're expecting of him and what we're used to of him. And maybe this year is an admiration. But then that takes me to the next part, which is Martin Jones, and he's even more crazy, like even more risky than than any of these guys I'm mentioning, including Carter Hart. So, um, so before I, I get it, we get into Martin Jones. Um, what do you have to say about this like defensive ads that they have? I think the Philadelphia Flyers were looking for a blend of guys with experience that could do a lot of different things and if one guy couldn't put up the points someone else could and people forget Rasmus Ristolainen before this past year and yes 18 points in 49 games isn't good first of all when it comes to looking at Rasmus Ristolainen's plus minus it's been minus 20 or higher in all but like one season um, and he's been playing on the Sabres his entire career. So 
take that with a large grain of salt. Um, In terms of his point production, year two in the NHL, 32 assists, 41 points. Year three in the NHL, 39 assists, 45 points. Year four, 35 assists, 40 points. Year five, 38 assists, 43 points. And um, the season before this past season, 27 assists, 33 points. So again, if if Rasmus Ristolainen ends up being a guy that plays like second pairing minutes, gets like 20 to 25 points, if he gets you 200 plus hits and get and is insulated well with everyone else, and he does a decent job, then that's probably a win for them. They also have a guy named Samuel Morin who they kept around for another year. He's a forward defense hybrid, so maybe you plug him in there. You're right about Keith Yandel, and we've mentioned this frequently. The turnover game is definitely a reason why he got bought as quick as he did. But even still, you look at a lot of the point tools that he's put up, you're looking at 40, 50, 60 points on an average year. That's pretty good for a guy that you're paying less than a million for. So that's probably that that could probably turn out to be one of the league's best bargain signings. Justin Braun, I like what he does. He's a pretty decent two-way guy. Travis Sanheim, they were able to get uh, on a two-year bridge at $4.675 million. Um, his numbers with the Flyers, uh, just checking quickly here, his highest point total was 35 points in 82 games. That was a second-year player. Typically, you'll probably get in a 20 to 25 points. That's a pretty good average. So maybe that's a, another risk to line in there, except um, he's more controlled in terms of turnovers. And then you have a guy like Ryan Ellis and Ivan Provorov that can do a little bit of both. They're both good two-way defense. They can eat up a lot of minutes, but they also have a lot of offensive potential, and they've got turn. Provorov has four years left before he's a UFA. Ryan Ellis has six years left before he's a UFA, and uh, they're making upwards of $6 million. So I think for, for this year, outside of... Um, outside of everything uh, else, when you consider their forwards and their goaltending, I actually don't think their defense is going to be half bad. I definitely think it's improved. And yes, it still might blow up in Chuck Fletcher's face, like some plans could with any GM. But at the very least, you at the very least, you can't say that he didn't try to better this Flyers defense and better this Flyers team because he did. He got rid of some cap, but also brought in a lot of acquisitions, some at richer deals, some at cheaper deals, and also committed to some of his uh, pending free agents, uh, as we'll get to when we talk about the forwards there, Brett. Um, There were two cases where before the guy's contract ends, he's just like, hey, you want to stay? Here's some money. Sign here. And the player signed. So... Um, I, I think it's not a bad, not a bad bit of business by Chuck Fletcher. Uh, interested to see how it factors in, uh, to that tough division and how it plays out. But if you compare this year's defense to last year's defense, I don't know how much of an upgrade it is, but I would call it an upgrade. I think the Flyers have improved, uh, in various ways. I don't know if it's enough, but they have improved. 
Yeah, that's fair. I guess because I do like Ellis, I do like Yandel. Um, I guess it's just like the wrist aligning shade kind of like I don't really like, and maybe that just fogs it up a bit. Um, but yeah, um, again, but, Buffalo didn't have Ryan Ellis, and this team does. True, true. So yeah. if he's insulated properly, similar to Keith Yandel, I think it's a gamble worth making. Yeah, and you fair. only get Yandel and Ristolainen for one year, and then you decide if you bring him back or not. Fair, fair. I think it's also like the factor of, well, I'm about to get into it now. Uh, so they signed Martin Jones, a one-year uh, for $2 million. Um, And then, uh, so by the way, Martin Jones hasn't had a 900 save percentage in the last three years. Um, although he did get a little bit better this past year, but um, I'm just like, in fact... He had an 896 exactly save percentage for the last three years of, of his Sharks career, which is pretty crazy. At least you could say he's consistent. Yeah, that's very consistent, yeah. Um, and I guess he got worse and worse, though, because his GAA, though, um, was uh, increasingly worse. Uh, he had a 3.28 GAA this past year. Then he had a 3 GAA, just a 3 flat GAA the year before that, and then a 2.94 GAA. And to be fair, like three years ago, um, he played in 62 games, or he started in 62 games, and then the, the then uh, next the next year it was 39 games that he started, and then 34 games that he started. So, um, so maybe like if he had played a little bit more games, um, maybe it, his GAA could have gotten better. Maybe it's possible, but who knows. Um, but yeah, so either way, it's not a great deal. Um, and then you go to Carter Hart, who they also signed um, to, uh, hold on, let me pull up his stats, because he didn't really have a, a great season this past year as well. Um, and yeah, I'm, was, I'm actually wondering, did Martin Jones have a better save percentage than Carter Hart did? Because I know yeah, he if, he, if, if, if Hart did better, it wasn't by much. Yeah, he actually did. Um, Jones oh. had a better save percentage. Uh, Carter Hart had an 877 save percentage and oh, an EAA of 3.67. So, yes, he was very he was very bad. Of course, that was in 25 games. Um, you also have to take into account that uh, Martin Jones was playing in the Pacific Division where he's, like, playing against, like, the, the likes of, like, the Coyotes, yeah. the Sharks, the Ducks. Um, in all those like mm-hmm. bad teams, where it's like Carter Hart's playing like the Bruins, the Rangers, the Penguins, the Capitals, the Islanders, and all you know, like a tougher division, except for the Sabres, yeah. obviously. But, um, but yeah, so it's uh, so you have to take that into account. But still, it's not great. Um, I I kind of attribute, and then they they signed Carter Hart to a deal. I just was, had it. Um, it was a three-year deal worth three point nine seven nine. Um, per year, um, they incorporated his number. They did that cheesy <laughs> bit uh, that some teams often do. <laughs> Three point nine seven. Yeah. Um, Three point nine seven nine is number seventy nine. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't even realize. Okay. Yep. <laughs> but like, you know, like the the past year uh, or the year before that, he had a nine fourteen save percentage, and his rookie year, he had like a nine seventeen save percentage with a two eighty three GAA, and you know. Um, the before COVID stuff happened, he had a GAA of 2.42. So it's like, he's still like the, he's still like a pretty good goalie. 
It's just this past year is like an aberration. So if he can get, it's kind of a bit like um, uh, Yamamoto, who we were just talking about, is that if Carter Hart can be what he was those past, you know, his first two years in the league, then yeah, it, it's great. But it does give you some warning that the fact that like both Carter Hart and Martin Jones had sub 900 save percentages, and then you're, you're adding in these like defensive guys, and two of them aren't really known for their shutdown defense in Rasselin and in um, and Yandel. So it's like, it, like it, there, there's a chance that this Flyers team is going to implode if Carter Hart can't go back to what we're used to, or Martin Jones back when he was on like the Kings. Um, um, so, so yeah, it's 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 uh, this. I could see this floundering um, very badly if, if Carter Hart um, or um, or Martin Jones, either one, is in the mix. Um, yeah, I, I think part a part of the responsibility will, will go on the shoulders of uh, Alain Vigneault, but I think most of it should go under Chuck Fletcher because he's the guy that put this team together. He's the guy that's put uh, previous rosters together, and it seems like one year they missed the playoffs. One year they make the playoffs and do pretty well, and things are on the right track. They missed the playoffs. Us again, but then they're back in the playoffs, and then they miss the playoffs again in a glorious fashion. So, like, at some point, you got to break the cycle and basically become playoff contenders consistently year in year out. And if they can't do that, then they need a different vision uh, calling the shots. Uh, so this is a pivotal year for Alain Vigneault's job security. Same with Chuck Fletcher, because of the time and the money that he invested into making this roster better. Um, I, I, I can't get, I, I think, um, how their offense is going to shake up Brett is going to be the bigger picture, not in terms of their goaltending. Cause I think, I think the defense is going to also in a, in a roundabout way, help the goaltending improve. And I, even though I do think that Carter Hart and Martin Jones uh, control a lot of the Flyers destiny. Um, so did the defense. Yeah. Um, but you look at Claude Drew, he's going to be a pending UFA. You have Kevin Hayes and JVR still there. I didn't realize that uh, the contract they gave James Van Riemsdyk only has two years left. I thought it was for some reason much longer, right but uh, I guess it was a five-year deal they gave him. He only has two years left. Uh, but then you have four more years of Cam Atkinson and Travis Konechny you just re up Sean Couturier, which I feel if Claude Giroux leaves, Couturier is probably the guy that's best suited to take over that leadership role. He's you have five more him, years yeah. of Scott Lawton, two more years of Oscar Lindblom, uh, seven more years of Joel Farabee because you just extended him. Yep. Uh, you have guys like Morgan Frost who, and Nico Baku Bell that haven't really. Uh, um, they they haven't really uh, hit their full stride with the Flyers, and I think still could. And there's a lot of upside to their game. You also have guys like Derek Broussard and and Nate Thompson that can be solid uh, depth guys for them. And then you look at some of the, the prospects that they have uh, in their system that we'll talk about later on, and it's just like man, th- this this group of forwards is fully loaded with talent there. Um, they have to hold up their end of the bargain. It can't just be the goaltending. E- uh, even though I-, I will say 
the forwards did a fair amount of job. I just um, of, of a, they did a fair amount of a good job there. I just don't think they had enough secondary goal scoring to like really match everyone punch for punch. And I think that's part of the reason why they traded Jacob Voracek to get Cam Atkinson. Um, at the same time, though, um, when your team gives up um, more goals than the Sabres, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. And, and they were in the same division. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess, um, yeah, that's a fair point or a good assessment of the team. I, I think it's it's interesting. I, I guess Chuck Fletcher was thinking that, okay, if we improve our defense, um, then then maybe the goaltending will be better and, you know, um, and maybe – then like this was this whole year without fans is kind of like an aberration and so maybe i could Mm -hmm. see what he what he was thinking in terms of that that sentiment but at the same token it's just like yandel isn't like great on defense and he's also um getting older uh rasmus versus isn't really (laughs) known for his defense either so it's like maybe you should have he should have started to get more shutdown defensemen instead of like two-way guys because you have Ivan Provorov in the system. You don't necessarily need like a power play specialist, um, and especially someone like Keith Yandel. But you know who knows. Um, yeah, and I think part of that is again taking advantage of the uh, entry-level years that they had, like yeah. Joel Farabee is entering the final year of his his new deal doesn't kick in until after next year you're also going to be paying couturier a lot more or not a lot more but a couple million more at least uh starting next year so that cap space that you're devoting to guys like keith yandel to guys like rasmus ristolainen that's not going to be there next year so that's that's why they're loading up on these guys to take advantage of this chance because they know once next year rolls around and those two new contracts start to kick in and they potentially maybe extend Claude Giroux as well, um, there's only so much cap they can divide to other positions. So Chuck Fletcher's mindset is basically, I got one year left of this. I might as well make all my moves now and see what happens. Yeah, that's a fair point. I guess it's like I didn't realize that Ristolainen has one more year left, and Yandel has yeah. only signed for one you, year. You think they but, would have traded that much for yeah. for like <laughs> for yeah. like three years of Ristolainen? Yeah, yeah, that's I a mean, good point that, that would be good for term, but like they, what his flaws are? Yeah, it's like so, yeah, exactly. It's like so so yeah, <laughs> that makes the trade make even less sense, and it already didn't make sense. That's that's crazy. Uh, that's a good point, too. Um, I was just going to get to the fact that John Couturier signed an eight-year extension worth $7.75 million, but you already said that um, per year. Obviously, it's not like the full amount for eight years. Um, and then Joel Farabee assigned a six-year extension as well, $5 million. Um, I, I like these deals because uh, Sean Couturier is a, a really good player, and as you were just mentioning, he's like once uh, Claude Giroux is – um, retires or whatever they do with him next year. Um, he, like Sean Couturier is probably going to be the captain. Um, he has a Selkie to his name, even though I thought it should have been Bergeron that year. Um, but that, that goes without saying. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a good player. So 
Um, so he's definitely worth that amount. But it, it, it was crazy that, like, when you see his contract, what he's making now, it's $4 million. Like, like that was that was a bargain deal. So so now they're about to, like, go to what he's actually worth, which is, like, $7 million. So, um, so that's, that's an interesting deal. Um, and then uh, I also like Joel Farabee. He's, he's a good up-and-comer stuff, but it is interesting. Like, he... He did have like a hot start, but um, but it is interesting that they already signed him to an extension already before he's like even had like that breakout season. So um, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, and also I want to note and, that uh, Cam Atkinson played at BC with uh, Kevin Hayes and his brother Jimmy Hayes. So um, so maybe we'll see that connection there. But uh, but this this year I guess will be like a full tribute to Jimmy Hayes because you have his brother Kevin Hayes and then you have uh, Cam Atkinson um, who was his teammate at BC. Anyways, I was I was also taking um, uh, stock into what you were talking about uh, the fact that they signed Couturier and Ferbey with a year left when they did and yes. I think part of that also. They don't want teams taking advantage of their cap situation because they've got a lot of money tied into other particular areas of the roster. Um, so, like, if a team wanted to offer sheet Joel Farabee for, I don't know, six or seven million, um, it, it might make uh, the Flyers sing twice if they're at that up against the cap. And you know that Sean Couturier, one of the best two-way forwards in up until then, one of the best two-way forwards not named Alexander Barkov that was going to be available on the open market, yep. he is now gone because the Flyers are just like, yeah, we don't want this to go anywhere near January 1st. We're locking him up now, yep. and he's a part of our team for the next eight or nine years. So that that was, uh, I think, good foresight by Fletcher on, on those regards. Yes, he's committing a lot of money in both scenarios, but I definitely think it was the wisest route he could have taken because – I definitely can see other teams offering more than what Farabee and uh, Couturier got respectively to go play for them. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, in terms of prospects, uh, the one that stood out to us uh, was another defenseman, um, American defenseman too. Uh, his name is uh, Cam Cameron York or Cam York. Uh, we may actually end up seeing him a little bit uh, this year too because uh, he played a little bit. Um, on the pro teams, he played in three games for the Flyers, but uh, but for the stacked University of Michigan uh, team, he played in twenty games or twenty sorry twenty points in twenty six games, uh, four goals, four of those were goals, um, and then um, and then I guess he signs his uh, entry level contract. Um, oh, I guess I skipped the fact that he was the captain for the Team USA team that won gold. In the World Juniors. I don't know if you know that, Steve, but uh, Team USA won gold in the World Juniors. Um, Next year is our year. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. Um, anyways, uh, he got he, during the World Juniors. He had six points in seven games. Uh, not too bad. Um, uh, five assists. Um, so he was like the the guy, the the defenseman there, um, and he was pretty good. Um, and then he played a little bit. Once he signed his entry-level contract, he played in Lehigh, um, the AHL affiliate. Um, and he, uh, he had five points in eight games. Um, he hasn't had his first NHL point, but I'm sure that's going to come sometime this year. Um, I would imagine what they're going to do is they're going to put him 
in Lehigh for maybe like half the year, um, but then I'll move him up, um, you know, towards like January 1st, or like if he starts to be, um, you know, just playing better than he sh- like he's just too good for the AHL, I'll just move him up to the AHL or the NHL. But I guess at the same time, I could see them even just putting him on the opening day roster. It's very possible. Especially since he's a right-handed defenseman. And I don't know if you know this, Steve, but Ivan Provorov, Ryan Ellis, Travis Sanheim, Rasmus Ristolainen, and Keith Yandel are all left-handed. Oh, wait. He's a, left- mm. he's a left-handed as well. That's, a, that's weird. That's a, okay. Hockey News says that he's right-handed, but... Um, okay, this is weird. Okay, so... Elite, elite, uh, are you looking at Elite? Are you looking at Hockey News? I, I'm looking at Hockey News, but and then I looked at Elite Prospects, and they say yeah. I'm going to go with Elite Prospects. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so considering they look after prospects, I would think they're correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so uh, I'm going to say this again: uh, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim, and um, <laughs> Keith Yandel are left-handed defensemen. Ryan Ellis, Rasmus Ristolainen, and Justin Braun are right-handed defensemen. I guess, okay, so Cam York is a left-handed defenseman. Okay, that's not too bad, but um, I thought it was, like, all, all five of those <laughs> the guys they have. And it's like a Buffalo situation where it's like, yeah, yeah. We, we hope this guy could shoot the other way. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, so, but, but, yeah, it's, I don't know. Um, so, so never mind. But, um, but, yeah, it's we could see him up. The point is is that we could see him up in the pros, uh Anyways, we could, but we shouldn't if everyone's healthy. This is this is the year, like I said, where the Flyers are going all in with their veterans. They're taking advantage of the amount of cap space they have. When that cap space goes away, they need the entry levels to pick up the slack. And Cam York will be one of those guys to pick up the slack, assuming they don't bring in in beyond this year, assuming they don't bring in Keith Yandel beyond this year. A lot of their defense is, is very short-term, which is the good news. You have Provrov and Ellis for the next four to six years, and then everyone else it's like two years or less. So that's the good news with uh, the Philly defenseman is outside of those two top dogs, they don't have much term beyond that. Uh, but nevertheless, Cam York is still going to be relied upon to deliver the goods when he's ready. He's going to be 21 uh, this coming day. Right now he's 20 years old. Um, I think, again, unless there's injuries and you need to bring in someone and he's playing really well, then yes, of course, do that. But if if everything's, fl- if everything's flying by, everything's good, there's defense, everyone's healthy – Keep him in the AHL for as long as you can, because once next season rolls around, I expect him to be an NHL player. I expect him to um, at least contribute at a decent level, and I don't expect him to be sent down once next year starts. This year is where he continues to develop his craft. It's where he plays as many minutes as you can give him in Lehigh Valley, and it's where he continues to grow as a player. So th- this is going to be a big, big, big uh, part of uh, Cam York's career. This is going to be a defining moment. I think he's ready for it based on what he's shown at the University of Michigan, like Brett mentioned, at the World Junior. 
a very able guy for uh, Team USA, a gold medal winner in that World Junior Tournament as well, and a guy with a lot of hockey sense and a good amount of skill. So um, you, you look at an all-around defenseman that that checks all the boxes for the Flyers. That's what makes that that's what makes the best prospect the best prospect when he's hands down got an advantage over pretty much everyone else in his field in pretty much every single category. And, um, and it's, it's been like that for the past couple of years uh, since he was drafted, even though at the start, the Flyers fans rather cold Caulfield on their team. Uh, Cam York uh, might, might hang a staple on that Flyers defense. And, uh, might end up winning the Flyers fans over and and do some things that uh, Cole Caulfield can't do. So yeah, yeah I, I I think he's going to be a very good NHL player. Yeah, totally fair. And, and honestly, I, I still think the Flyers fans will want Cole Caulfield because Cole Caulfield's going to be a pretty good player too in his own right. But yeah, I agree. I think Cam York's going to be a a good pro as well. What's interesting is is that they were teammates at one point because they were on that U.S. NDP ND. NTDP uh, team, um, so so they they kind of know each other well, but, uh, but yeah, I guess it's the they wanted his uh, his teammate instead. Um, in terms of wild cards, there's actually a, quite a few of flyers. They have an interesting prospect pool because there's a bunch of like wild card guys that you could see eventually making the team, but maybe not yet, just yet. Uh, guys like Ty Forster, uh, Samu. Tuomala, who's a guy that they just got, um, even like uh, Bobby Brink, Isaac Radcliffe, uh, Wade Allison. Um, but um, I decided to go with Jay O'Brien. He's kind of a personal favorite of mine because I remember, I think I talked about him in the 2018 draft recap. As like, I saw that uh, for high school in, at Thayer, which is a nearby school in Boston, um, he had 80 points in 30 games, and that stood out to me. And then... Um, and then he went to Providence the following year. So I thought, like, okay, he's going to kill it in Providence. I've been, like, I was following his career at this point. And then, um, and then yeah, he had, like, uh, he had five points in 25 games. It was a bit disappointing. Um, and then he even played in the World Juniors for a little bit, but um, he didn't get any points in, in seven games for Team USA. That was the year they didn't win. Um, then he uh, goes to the... BCHL, I guess, because he transferred for the year, and he uh, he uh, he kills it in that league because of course he does. I mean, he has sixty six points in forty six games. Um, and then this past year, which is why we're talking about him now, he uh, he transferred to Boston University, and he had a point per game, uh, sixteen points in sixteen games, um, eight goals, eight assists, um, and it looks like he's going to take another year at Boston University. So I guess he. Um, this will be his. I think this will be his junior year, maybe senior year, because um, I guess he took one more year. So yeah, so I guess this would be his senior year technically. Although I don't know how transfers work, where maybe he has another year left. Uh, but anyways, um, it it should be like you know this this guy. He was a first round pick in 2018. He was 19th overall. Kind of controversial, I thought. Like. Even though I had heard of this guy before the draft, I thought he would be like a second round pick, maybe third round pick. But like the fact that they picked him in the first round kind of just shows how much they think this kid's going to be pretty good. But um, but yeah, it, it um, 
it's kind of interesting because it seems like already he has he's had quite a, a bit of a journey already. Um, and it, it should be interesting to see how he um, how he does in the, in the second year because I guess there's a chance that you could be even more excited about it. Yeah, and uh, this is a guy that's actually going to be 22 in November. So, um, like, you look at guys like um, York and Tyson Forster. Um, they're maybe around the same age as him, but just a little bit younger. Um, and and to your point about um, where they selected him, Brett, they did select him 19th overall, but usually on the highlight section of League Prospects, there's usually a little bio that people put on there, and I've noticed you only see those bios um, among, like, I don't know, the top 60 prospects or the top 30 prospects, guys that a lot of scouts pay a lot of attention to throughout the course of the season. There's not a single word in the highlights section about this guy, um, which, which, again, adds to your point of, yeah, not really as heralded as um, – as surveyed um, in the eyes of scouts, um, in the eyes of NHL teams. But, um, yeah, for, for those reasons, definitely looks like a wild card. With the Penticton Bs, he got 25 goals in 46 games. So that goal per game pace of 0.5 this year at NCAA, not all that surprising when you consider that part of uh, yeah. the segment. And he also played um, – out of those 46 games, he played a good chunk of them as assistant captain in Penticton, too. So in his first year, he was already given a leadership role on the team, not the captaincy. But, like, getting an A in your first year, that doesn't happen very often. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really keen on uh, keeping a track on this guy um, after his point-per-game pace at Boston University, what he's able to do for an encore performance there. Um and, and to add to your comment about Tyson Forster, um, the Flyers have a lot of uh, wild card goal scorers uh, in their draft pool. Um, obviously, with Jacob Voracek, as we were mentioning, part of the reason why they got Cam Atkinson is because I don't think they really had um, a good second. I think down the road, if Cam Atkinson uh, doesn't work out or – you know, they don't keep around James Van Riemsdyk beyond those two years. Someone like Tyson Forster maybe could fit into that role. If you look at um, the goal totals um, um, for the past couple of years, he had uh, 10 goals in 64 games as an OHL rookie. Then he had 36 and 62 as a, an OHL second-year player. He had 80 points in 62 games that year. Uh, and didn't even play in the OHL last year because of COVID, so he played 24 games in the High Valley. In the AHL, he had 17 points in 24 games, 10 of which were goals. So you got two sneaky good goal scorers and Jay O'Brien and Tyson Forster riding in the wings. As a, as a Flyers fan, that's another piece of their um, bright young future uh, to be excited about. It's not just uh, Cam York. It's... Um, these um, low-key, underrated, sneaky, good forwards. And I think uh, I would throw in Bobby Brink as another one of them. Yeah, Bobby Brink's another one. I thought I mentioned him, but yeah, you're right. Um, and also uh, Samu Tulamalo. Um, you right. know, the Flyers don't have – they didn't have their first-round pick, which was a Ristolainen pick. 
But uh, I think uh, the Samuel Tuomala guy could end up actually being um, a decent pick for them um, eventually because he can he can score goals. You're talking about like scoring goals, I think. Oh, hold on, I was about to pull him up. Um, give me one second. Um, this is basically like half our podcast is me just. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, double checking your notes in real time is basically yeah, yeah, yes. uh, he uh, yeah uh, he's like known as a goal scorer he had uh, 15 goals in 30 games so that's like a goal every other game basically um, yeah half, a, half a goal per game yeah, yeah. so he's, he's going to be like kind of known as a, a goal scorer and then in the under uh the World Juniors under 18s, he had uh, 11 points in seven games. So, uh, Samu Tumamala could end up being a, a pretty good player for them, even though it was like their first pick in that draft. Um, okay, so so now let's go to the Pittsburgh Penguins. They weren't as active, which is kind of a surprise um, because usually they're 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 fairly active, but um, I guess not this year. Um, but they added, um, they did have like an interesting move where they traded uh, Jared McCann to the um, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, the day, um, like the day before uh, the Seattle draft. Um, and we all assumed that this meant that Toronto was going to keep Jared McCann and the Penguins couldn't afford to. They ended up like keeping like t- Teddy Bluger and like. Zach Aston Reese, I think, was another one that was kind of odd. Um, or just like guys that were better than <laughs> Jared, uh, that weren't better than uh, Jared McCann. It was a little odd, but they ended up getting Philip Hallander back, who was uh, a prospect that they had back in the Phil Kessel trade um, um, way back in the day. And, uh, I think they also had it like it was like a Casper Kapanen was also they got him there too or something it was oh no it was the Casper yeah well Kapanen. yeah yeah so so Hollander was a Pittsburgh prospect then he went to Toronto because Pittsburgh got Kapanen right the and then he went back to Toronto when or then he went to Pittsburgh from Toronto when um, yeah. Toronto uh, got Jared McCann and then later lost him right uh, in that trade with Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, okay. But, like, so that's interesting, then, that, like, Kapanen was another guy that uh, Toronto, that Pittsburgh ended up getting back uh, from Toronto after Toronto, like, basically loaned Kapanen. And then uh, the Penguins, or the, the Leafs also loaned Hallander for a while. So that's interesting. Um, but, yeah, so, so they ended up losing Jared McCann because he ends up going to Seattle, but they would have lost him anyways. Um, and then uh, they also lost uh, Brandon Tanev. Uh, was it Brandon Tanev? Uh, he was the actual Seattle pick. Um, they yeah. add Brock McGinn. They also add Danton Heinen, which are both kind of like minor moves, but, um, you know, maybe they'll make some something. Maybe we'll see hear their names on the score sheets a couple of times throughout the year, um, especially because it seems like Crosby and Malkin are both injured, or it's, it's unclear about how injured they are, because now it's saying that like Crosby could be back, um, but like Malkin may be injured or something like that, but 
Yeah, so, like so the latest on those injuries, based on what I heard, is that Crosby is not expected to miss any games. If he does miss games, it won't be too many. Malkin might start the season on long-term injured reserve. That's what I know. Got it. Interesting. All right. Um, so, yeah, there, there isn't really too much to report in terms of the Penguins because those ads aren't, like, so great, and those uh, subtractions aren't, like, huge losses either. Maybe they'll miss Jared McCann, I think, but um, but who knows? I, I feel like it was more of like a mishap on Toronto's part than Penguins' part because I feel like Jared McCann's going to go off in, in Seattle. Um, in terms of re-signings, um, these aren't anyone special either. They uh, signed uh, Teddy Bluger to a um, – I had it here – uh, Teddy Blue. It was a, a two-year two year pact, right? Two point two million, yeah, uh, for two years. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah. Zach Aston Reese oh, has a one-year one point seven two five million. Uh, these guys are both like on their bottom six, but um, but and I think Bluger took a couple of like he was injured for a time as well. But uh, when they were on the ice, like I remember, like I I remember there was a couple games where like both Luger and Aston Reese like stood out to me um, because those guys could be decent guys and those are guys that you kind of need especially for like a team like the Penguins that have a lot of money and guys like Crosby, Malkin and Letang um, is you kind of need those guys on cheap contracts who who just who don't who aren't on your top six but are very very good on the defensive side of things and um, can also score every now and then too. So, um, so I I, I feel like that that's like that was a big reason why Tampa Bay was so strong these past couple of years. Is like their depth was was amazing, um, and and yeah. So I think Aston Reese and Bluger were were good picks just for those those points um, instead just for depth. Uh, yeah, so this is the problem when you got money tied to guys like Chris Letang, guys like Mike Matheson, um, Sidney Crosby, uh, Evgeny Malkin, and you know the likes of Malkin and Crosby obviously deserve that uh, cash. Um, I, I, at times, it seems like Matheson is worth what he's getting, um, and and Chris Letang, when fully healthy and when called upon, can be one of the league's most dynamic offensive threats, definitely in the top 10 for sure. Uh, but when you get to add on those contracts and you also have uh, contracts like Jake Gensel getting added on and Jason Zucker getting added on, it limits your ability, similar to what we've seen with the Leafs and the Oilers, your ability to improve the roster in the other areas, particularly the bottom six. And um, I, for, first off, I like Brock McGinn. That's a good signing. I really like that signing. Good term, good monetary value. Uh, he was a nice little player for Carolina, and I think he's going to fit in very, very well. Danton Heinen's a wild card. Uh, Dominic Simon um, left Pittsburgh for a bit, and now he's back. Um Maybe things work out uh, the second time around, but he did have a lot of uh, promising uh, moments in his first stint with the Penguins, so that gives me hope. There's also uh, this uh, finish forward Pustinen, 
yeah. who, if you look at uh, his numbers, Brett, uh, over in Finland in a men's league, he was racking up the assists, racking up the points. Um, I think he's over a point-per-game player in the Liga as well. So um, maybe he's one of those diamonds in the rough that Pittsburgh just randomly finds in um, just some random part of the world, and all of a sudden he's playing like second-line, third-line minutes there. The good news for Pittsburgh is even though they lost a glue guy like Brandon Tenev, even though they lost some defensive depth with uh, Cody D, even though uh, bottom six forwards like Skeebier and Jankowski have signed PTOs elsewhere and Freddie Goudreau is no longer there, it doesn't matter because they have guys like Kasper Kapanen and Brian Rust already playing uh, solid roles for this team and continuing to elevate um, their competitiveness, their game level every single, um, every single season, it seems. And, and there were some hurdles with Kapanen in Toronto, for sure. But um, you were mentioning off the air, Brett, all things considered, Kapanen played pretty well in the time that he was out there for Pittsburgh last year. And that should give fans reason to believe that uh, things could get even better this year. I just don't know if, because we know Pittsburgh, with the roster that they had last year, it's still good enough to contend for divisions and potentially win divisions. Beyond that is the problem. Right. And we saw it in the playoffs with the Islanders. If they get a tough matchup, um, they're a very beatable hockey club. So even if they're good again, and they may not be good, they, they might be an average team trying to cling on to their playoff lives. But even if they are a good team, I'm not convinced uh, that they're a playoff threat anymore in the Crosby and Malkin era. Yeah, it does seem like where, I mean, I mean, both of them are pretty old players, so it's like they're not what they used to be. But like even still, Crosby had a pretty good year, um, all things considered. Mm-hmm. He had a good um, year. So, so it's, it's not like they don't have anything left. Um, it's just not like, you know, like, uh, you know, you could have compared Crosby to McDavid, um, but but now it's just like, okay, Crosby's just a very good player instead of, like, an elite player. Um, but, like, that, that still yeah. doesn't mean that he's not scary anymore and, and all that stuff. So, um, but, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like the Penguins aren't, um, are kind of, like, their window has closed, and they're kind of like with the Bruins and the Capitals where, like, They've been good for so long that it's now it's time to like rebuild and stuff. And it'll remind me back to the 2006 draft when um, those three teams are were in the top five of uh, of the draft. But um, but yeah, I, don't, I think they have like maybe one more year, maybe two more years where they're um, they'll be in the playoffs. But maybe it's not this year. Um, and by the way, you mentioned it, and I, sh- I feel like I should say it on here. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen had uh, th- what I said off air was that he had 30 points in 40 games. I feel like no one was really talking about that because when I told this to Steve, he was kind of shocked that he had 30 points in 40 yeah. games. And I think it was partially mm-hmm. because yeah. he was injured for, I guess, uh, 16 regular season games. So so maybe it's just you, right. you didn't hear it. But but yeah, it's pretty good for, uh, for a, a guy like that. So. Um, so yeah, that, that's uh, a good part. Um, and on that note, because like the Penguins make the playoffs every year, um, their prospect pool or like they make trades where they trade their first round picks 
and all that stuff. Uh, their prospect pool isn't that deep. But there are some guys that could be decent for them eventually. Um, the, the best prospect by far for them, though, is uh, Samuel Poulin. Um, he was a first-round pick in 2019, the 21st overall. Uh, he, um, he had a, let's see, oh, I love doing math like this. This is my other favorite part of this. Because he, uh, he, I guess there was a trade where he went from Sherbrooke to Valdor. I don't even want to pronounce the team name for Valdor. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, in 24 games, he had 31 points. Um, and um, so that, that's pretty good. That's over a point per game uh, for him. Um, and yeah, he's a left winger. Um, and it seems like, you know, just from what everything I've been reading about him, seems like he's like a smart guy a smart play he plays a smart game he's strong on the puck um so he's also like you know he's a good two-way guy as well um and I, I guess he also plays some right wing as well so um so maybe um yeah i, I guess it, it this maybe eventually uh, maybe it's even like uh even like oh, actually probably not this year i would imagine he'll he'll be at a wilkes fair um this year um, and then maybe in the next year he'll, he'll play um, in the pros um, and, and he'll be with like Crosby or he gets to play with Crosby or Malkin and stuff. But I assume that's what they do when they draft these guys is they're like, they're picking all these wingers so that they can uh, potentially play with Malkin or Crosby. Um, although I guess eventually <laughs> those guys will have to pick centers for uh, those guys their replacements there too but um but at the time being this could be an interesting uh, guy for them and um yeah he, he could be pretty good for them as well hopefully um the opponents that he's going up against aren't wise to pick up any fights because i don't know if they do well uh, he's six foot two and weighs 214 pounds wow. which is a pretty heavy guy for a guy who's six foot two um you, you'll look at the, the um, right wing, left wing experience, or right bread, um, bottom anywhere there. Um, I, I like the goals per game as well. Uh, 16 and 55 as a rookie, and he had 45 points that year um, on a Sherbrooke team that didn't really have a rich history for winning at that time. Immediately, his second year, he's an assistant captain, so he establishes uh, a form of a veteran presence and leadership already. And he gets. Um, a better goal total, plays in more games, uh, finishes with 29 and 67, a total of 76 points his second year, then 32 goals in 46 games. That's a very good goal goals per game pace. And he finishes with uh, one more point um, than he did the previous year, but he also played in 21 fewer games. So his uh, points per game uh, went up by a fair margin uh, as well. Um, and then we got to his split stats with uh, Sherbrooke and Valdor. By the time he left Sherbrooke, he was the team captain for a year and a bit. So, uh, like I said already, a guy that's got a lot of leadership experience um, at the the uh, the amateur level, and uh, I think at the professional uh, hockey level, um, he's I'm not going to say he's a future captain. The Penguins once Crosby retired, like. I definitely think he'll be in the running for like at least an assistant captain, and I definitely think uh, the offensive upside's there. 
part of uh, the game plan, I think, in order to make that a reality for him to be a consistent uh, second-line, third-line player in the NHL, uh, again, is to get him as much reps in the in the AHL as you can. Same like you did with Cam York. Just keep him Wilkes-Barre's crane for as much of this year as you possibly can. Let him develop his talents, see where he is in a year, and go from there. Yeah. But I'm giving him at least a full year of seasoning in the AHL before I even consider where I put him in the lineup. The, the Penguins still have enough resources to uh, fill out an NHL roster, and when they don't have any more of those resources, that's when they need their prospects to be ready. And Sam Poulin's right at the top of the food chain in that regard. Yep. Um, as for a wild card uh, prospect, I went with another guy who's listed as 6'2 as well, um, but he just so happens to be a goalie. Um, it, what was interesting about the Penguins is that, like, in terms of their system, yeah, like, uh, Tristan Jari's there, uh, Casey DeSmith as well, um, but they don't really have, like, a franchise goaltender. Uh, they also dra uh, drafted uh, Joel Blomquist, who's another one, but this uh, Callie Klang um, is, is going to be our wildcard prospect here. He, um, he, he might not end up being so bad either. Um, he had, this past year, he uh, played in 32 games for the Hockey Alvenskin League, um, which I guess is like the league below the Swedish League. I mean, he had a 9.19 save percentage and a 2.46 GAA um, in those 32 games. Um, he also, which isn't bad when you consider the fact that he had a losing record, um, which went uh, 13, they went 13, 19, um, 13 and 19. So that just shows that like, even still like, um, he may have ended up like keeping the, that team in the in the league at that point. Um, he did play one game in uh, the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, which I guess it says here that on Elite Prospect that he's going to play another year at Rogel BK, um, where he had a save percentage of one. But again, he like so I guess he only played in one game, but I guess he didn't start it because they don't list it as a shutout or a winning. Um, winning record, so so maybe it's just uh, he only played like just as a backup there, and he just didn't um, allow any goals. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does at the SHL because of course Alsvenskin is the league below the SHL, but it looks like he's he's been he was pretty good for the in that league, and he uh, deserves to be promoted into the another league, and we'll see how it goes. Um, and, you know, if all, all things considered, if he plays well there, then, yeah, he may end up being the franchise goalie for them. He's only 19 years old, which is um, just to, something to keep in mind. Yeah, 6'2", 176 pounds, so not Vasilevsky tall, but, like, pretty close to Vasilevsky tall, I would say. Um, according to his Elite Prospects page, this guy tends to play from his goal line out. Uh, not often getting caught stranded too far from his crease. Also very tough to beat around the post or down low even. Um, he reads the game pretty well. Doesn't seem to struggle a whole lot with adapting to a stronger pace of play. And if you see the soft goal every now and again, covers well after that. So that right there is two intangibles. Is that he isn't really getting caught... 
uh, out of position. He's not paying for his mistakes as often. Um, if he is putting himself in a tough spot, uh, his athleticism helps bail him out. And again, this is so important for a goalie at any level, but especially the NHL. If there's a bad goal going against you, focus on the next shot, get back on the high horse, and uh, keep making the saves when called upon. You need that as an NHL goalie. You need that mental fortitude to be successful. So that that part uh, really piques my interest. Um, the numbers don't at the moment, um, but I'm, I'm more so interested to see what happens uh, when he turns pro uh, and he joins uh, the National Hockey League when he's at the North American level. The good news is this guy is 19 years old, and he and he doesn't turn 20 until next May, yeah. the middle of next May. So just recently turned 19-year-old, got a lot of room to grow. Um, he'll be in his 20s probably by the time he heads over to North America. Uh, it, this is probably going to be a project that takes a couple of years. The hope is that um, Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith uh, can get the job done until then. Um, but it, it, it does intrigue me in the next four to five years, what does the goaltending situation look like in Pittsburgh? Is Blomquist in the mixture of that? Is it Kale Klang? Is it somebody else perhaps? Um, or is it, or are they going to ride or die with Tristan Jerry this entire time? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, intrigued about um, that matchup, uh, especially when you consider again, um, the Philly and Pittsburgh, the d- tough division they play in. There's very little room for error, as we found out in that uh, game-winning goal in Game Five uh, that the Islanders got. It came off of a bad read by Tristan Jerry. And right. bad reads like that, all it takes is one to cost a team the hockey game in a very tight division um, where there's a little give and take in postseason play. So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, the mental fortitude of Kale Klein gives him an inside edge. The rest will have to wait and see. Yeah, it's uh, well, I don't know how much faith they have in Tristan Jari considering he was a big reason why they lost the playoff series. Um, to the Islanders this past year. But yeah, I I mean, I don't even think Callie Klang or Blomquist will be ready uh, by next year if that's the route they're going. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's a guy to keep your eye on. Um, and, and that's the true definition of a wild card. Um, yeah, before we get on to the San Jose Sharks, I just wanted to quickly mention, because we didn't mention it before we straight on to the prospects, Yep. Matt Bartowski and Brian Boyle are on PTOs in Pittsburgh, just so you know. Okay, good to know. Um, in terms of San Jose, um, I think that a couple of these stuff we kind of already talked about. Aiden Hill, we talked about that trade. James Reimer, they sign. It's kind of a, a nice move, I guess. Um, Nick Merkley, they also get. Um, not the same brother as, uh, they're not brothers with Nick Mer- uh, with Ryan Merkley, but, um, but now they're on the same team. Um, in terms of subtractions, uh, Alex True, he's the C- he was the Seattle pick. I don't think that's going to be a huge loss. Uh, they also lose uh, Martin Jones and um, Joseph Coronage, uh, Ryan Donato, who's going to Seattle. I guess we're going to talk about them next week. Um, so not too bad. Um, in terms of resignings, uh, nothing really um, going on there. 
Um, I guess we could talk about like the fact that they changed their whole goaltending situation, where it's now instead of um, Martin Jones and Hornage, they go with Eden Hill and James Reimer. Um, Eden Hill actually was decent. Um, I remember we talked about this during um, our Arizona stuff. Was like you know Eden Hill was a nice piece for for Arizona. He he really got going towards the end of the year. Um, I I kind of like this move for. San Jose because he could end up being their starter th- there for them especially when like James Reimer he's 33 years old he didn't really play too much in Carolina um, but uh, they ha- either way they have both Aiden Hill and James Reimer for t- uh, two more years at 2.25 uh, for a million for James Reimer and then a 2.175 for Aiden Hill for those two years so um, I think it's a better a combo or a combination of guys uh, compared to um, what's his face and what's his face Martin Jones and Coronage um, or like Dubnik even or like uh, any of the other guys that they had um, at that point so um, so yeah I, I think this could end up working out for them but um, yeah we'll see yeah, it's it's kind of weird to say, oh yeah, that this tandem is much better than the other tandem. Right, no, I know. When you can consider uh, the of high course, GA by these, Reimer, these two guys also have their their risk factors, of course, as well. Of course. Yeah, what's what's also funny is that uh, when Martin Jones made the playoffs in 2016 and the Sharks went on that run to the finals, James Reimer was brought in to be a capable backup for martin jones for that playoff run and then he went off to florida after that and i don't think aiden hill was even in the league right. at that time and that's the goaltending tandem to replace martin jones and uh yosef Kozenash. it kind of kind of shows how things have spiraled in san jose honestly brett like victor your buddy may not want to hear this this team reminds me of the ottawa senators before they blew everything up yep and unfortunately for Eric Carlson, he was on that Senators yep. team, and uh, they're they're at a tough crossroads here because they have they, um, uh, bearing the lead again. We'll talk about the Thomas Earl situation in a bit, but you have that were previously, and I think are still considered to be key pieces, integral pieces of this current lineup, but. And, and it seemed like a couple of years ago, oh, yeah, of course we're going to sign this guy when the time comes. He's going to be a, sh- a San Jose Shark for right. life. Why not? And and now you're not so sure because the team's headed in the wrong direction. Nothing they've done really has worked to kind of fix the problems. They're in a weak division, and yet they're still missing the playoffs. Right. Um, unlike Ottawa's situation where, like, they were in a freaking loaded division. But yeah. th- this is this is even worse. The core is aging. You have the Evander Kane situation right. where it's reported that s- some teammates don't even want him on the team. They want him gone. Yep. It's just a very, very tough predicament that Doug Wilson is faced with, and I don't know how he makes it any better with 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 one move. He can't make one move. There needs to be several to, to be put in. And even if they do get rid of Vander Kane, I don't think that's enough to turn things around. Yeah, by the way, so, uh, yeah, we did bury the lead, but because um, I kind of <laughs> forgot about it. But uh, Vander Kane, um, I think we kind of talked about this when we were talking about Jack Eichel and, like, you know, because it seems like Vander Kane 
um, is in serious, um, a serious situation. Oh, no, we talked about Evander Kane when we were talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. But um, Evander mm. Kane is in serious help uh, with uh, the NHL because uh, his, uh, I guess, maybe like maybe it's a, an ex-wife or a spouse of Evander Kane. Uh, Soon-to-be soon ex-wife, I'm I sure, think they're just about to file for divorce. Sure, sure, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Evander has problems controlling his money. Yeah, basically, uh, he filed for d- d- bankruptcy last year. Um, and you know he's making this guy's making seven million per year. So you're like, what? Uh, what? What's he doing? So this is shouldn't come as a shock to you that supposedly, allegedly, this is all alleged, according to his ex, or his soon-to-be ex-wife, um, he's been gambling money um, and betting on games. Um, it's unclear if it's like hockey games, if it's if he's betting on the Sharks, if he's betting against the Sharks. What's crazy is that Evander Kane, if he was betting against his team, uh, he uh, he did a pretty good job at hiding it because he was their best player uh, this past year. Uh, he, like, he led that's their... the sad part yeah. for the Sharks. Right. That's he... the sad part. Right, They're right. trading away their best player if they get rid of him. Right, and it, it's just... Um... Right, it's just it's funny because it's like he if he was betting against them, he was betting for the Sharks. I don't necessarily have too much of an issue with it, but it does explain why he's bankrupt. Um, but um, but like it's he could, he could be betting against Vegas and they just keep winning and it's right. just like wow this didn't go well. right right because he has that feud with Ryan Reeves. Um, so so yeah, and then there's like reports that uh, like you know even after this whole thing happened that like. Even if it's like true, um, the whole team hates this guy um, and they want him gone, which is very similar to how it happened when he was in Winnipeg. So it just seems like no matter how good this guy is, it's like, like this is, is going to be his fourth chance if he's uh, traded again or signed. I'm sh- he's still a talented guy, but it's also like it's very much like a Jack Eichel situation because we're all waiting, on, except it's different because the. Uh, the Sharks are probably waiting on the NHL because they could discipline him um, indefinitely and, and make it, and force him out of the league, basically. So it's like, would you like if you're another team that yes, he's he's very talented, but then with this whole like investigation that's starting, do you still do you want this guy who may end up being banned from the league? Um, and that's that just makes it very 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 hard. To trade him for what he's worth, if at all. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's definitely like a um, a developing story and something that we kind of had avoided talking until now. But it's definitely interesting. Uh, there's also, as Steve alluded to, that there's reports that Tom, Tomas Hurdle he wants out. Um, supposedly, um, Bruin. This is my main target. I, I wouldn't say Bruins. wants out, but like I, I would. I wouldn't say wants out, but it's a fifth. 50- situation where like he would like to stay yeah. here but it's not like a, a slam dunk oh yeah for yeah. sure i'm gonna sign here he's open to options basically yeah yeah so but either way it's like you that's the kind of guy that you don't want like even questioning their future of of the team so um so either way it's like it's not great um and like these two stories are yeah you're right this this does feel like the sense of old or they're they're about to be the sense of old um 
But the good news, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this Evander Kane stuff or Thomas Hurdle before we go to the prospects? Um, I I think. Oh boy. Um, I think the solution for Evander Kane because I don't think he's going to fetch anything on the trade market. I don't know if there's any team that's going to want him. Not even Buffalo. Right. <laughs> I don't think Buffalo will want him. I don't think Arizona will want him. Um, there could be a situation where us go, look, um, if, if we buy this guy out, does it count against the cap? Because then they're probably going to make an army into the end. I mean, just, just look at this history. Like, we're kind of like being backed into a corner here. Um, so the NHL can cut, maybe cut them some slack uh, in a roundabout way. So, like, yeah, they buy him out, but it – maybe it doesn't like count against the cap or maybe like they get a discount. Uh, there has to be some sort of CBA workaround around that, but I don't see how they trade Evander Kane. Um, or e even with, even by retaining all of his salary and the other team pays absolutely nothing to get Evander Kane. They just get Evander Kane and that's it. Just take him off your hands says San Jose kind of deal. Yep. Even then, I don't, I don't think any team's gonna want that baggage. I, I think it's just too much. So I think buyout is more likely than a trade there. Um, but I, I'm pretty convinced that his time in San Jose is done. As for Thomas Hurdle, especially he didn't get anything for Evander Kane. No one's really gonna get anything for Brent Burns because they don't want his contract. Same with Eric Carlson. Same with Mark Edward Vlasic. You already bought out Martin Jones. You have Logan Couture tied up for a lot of money as well. Thomas Hurdle could be the guy that you probably get the most out of in a return. So while I would like to keep Thomas Hurdle, at this point, you got to think, okay, what's best for the franchise here? Do we need to sell off some pieces and recoup the prospect cupboard and get some tangible assets? Because right now we're spinning our tires in this mediocre division and we're not really going anywhere. And that's going to continue if things don't change. So sometimes you got to make a decision and trade away a very popular, very talented player. But at the end of the day, if it helps you get a promising first round draft pick for the future, especially in a draft year that's loaded with talent in 2022, maybe, maybe you have to make a tough decision like that. So um, I, I, if I had to guess right now, 35% hurdle stays a shark, the remaining 65% he's traded by the deadline. Yeah, that would be an interesting move. Don't know where, but I think he gets traded by the deadline 65%. Yep. On the bright news, though, um, it seems like uh, the Sharks have a finally actually have a decent um, prospect pool now. Um, the top, the best prospect, though, however, is uh, no doubt going to be William Eklund. We kind of already talked about him already with Victor, uh, too. Um, but uh, it does seem like he was a bit of a steal the more you look at it, because he had uh, 23 points in. 40 games for the Swedish Hockey League. Apparently, he also had, like, a COVID for a couple of those games as well. So, it's like, the, yet is, the best is yet to come. He's also, like, 5'10". Um, he's 18 years old. 
Um, so, um, and, and we always say this too whenever we talk about the Swedish Hockey League is it's a professional league, so he's like playing with a bunch of guys. And if it's like if it's true that like he wasn't even like at a hundred percent when he was playing in that league, it's like he's going to be a very very good player, um, and he could turn out to be the best player in this draft um, if all things are considered. Um, but it looks like he's going to play another year in the Swedish Hockey League at Drew Gardens. Um, as a loan, it looks like so, but um, but he did sign an entry level contract, so um, so maybe um, uh, maybe eventually we'll see him in uh, the uh, affiliate, the H- AHL affiliate, which I think is also in San Jose. Um, maybe even like the Barracudas, one, yeah, the Barracudas, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe we'll see them like in two years or something like that, but um. And then, and then, or we could see him even next year in the pros. Um, it, it could, it could be possible. Yeah, I, I think uh, in order to get used to the North American style of hockey, I think the AHL starting there is the best route. At least half a season. I prefer a full season, um, and then, and then work your way up from there. He plays in Europe this year, so yeah, three years. He probably becomes uh, an NHL regular, but I don't think it's going to take him long to become an NHL regular, just based on the intangibles that I see. And we talked about this when the Sharks drafted him uh, with Victor as our special guest. And the more I read into this guy, I'm like, man, the Sharks need a player like this, and every team needs a player like this. Doesn't take a single shift off. Uh, keeps his line effective in all three zones he's a straw that stirs the drink he can play at high paces um very creative he can adjust the speed of hockey to his playing style um like i said quick effective accurate reads very smart cerebral hockey player uh can open up uh, doors for his teammates and just his outlook on life he wants to be a very positive guy but he's such a hard worker and that can be just an infectious personality on the team that is something that since pavelski left i was kind of worried about the sharks a little bit i thought kutcher was gonna be a pretty good captain i still think he is a good captain but there were, there were traits that Pavelski brought that I think uh, have been tough to replace. And I think William Eklund could help restore some of those traits um, based on the articles that I've read and his approach to the game by game by practice, the daily grind of being a hockey player. He gets it. He's a professional, um, and, he, and he can be a difference maker on any team he plays for. So I really love this... Um, the selection, I, I said it a couple months ago when it happened, um, and I think when you start to see the next wave of Sharks talents, he's going to be one of the first that you see, and he's going to make a very, very big impact. Right. Yeah, we'll see. Um, in terms of wild cards, they, as I mentioned before, they have a pretty extensive um, farm team, but and there's a couple of guys that we could talk about. Um there's like Sausage and Levski, who we'll probably see a little bit this year in the pros. Tristan Robbins is interesting. Um, Ryan Merkley, mm-hmm. I guess, is kind of a wild card in, in another way. Um, Ozzy Weisblatt, um, who was their first round pick last year, 
Um, yeah. But uh, but we're actually going to go with their second uh, overall pick because I actually love this guy. Um, he was a he was a second round pick last year. Um, his name's Thomas Bordalo. Um, he's on the that stacked Michigan team. Um, but this past year, he kind of had a um, a coming out party in a way, uh, where he had 30 points in 24 games. I'm gonna look here. I think that puts him. Uh, nope. Um, gonna say oh wait that puts him that puts him 15th um in the ncaa um in terms of points um and um and yeah and, and that goes like even the year before that where he had 46 points in 47 games um i guess a reason why he was a second round pick instead of first round pick is you guessed it he's 510 um although it looks like on this uh draft guide it said that he was clocking in at five foot nine so it must like he must have grown an inch <laughs> over the over this year yeah. which is funny um he's also from houston texas which is uh not really a hockey hotbed of of people but um but yeah i i could see this like i don't know if i see him being a center in the nhl just because of his size but like he's another guy i mean william eklund's also a center and he's 510 as well so maybe he will be a center um, but it, but it is interesting when you consider that like this, like Eklund and Bordalo could end up being the top two centers uh, for the San Jose um, in like a couple of years um, it seems. Um, but um, I would imagine Bordalo is going to play another year in Michigan, um, and then I imagine he'll probably uh, play in the Barracudas the year after that once he signs his entry level contract. Um, and then, and then yeah, and then you see how it goes. But it, it could be a long ride before we actually see him play. But uh, but he's going to be pretty good once we see him there. Yeah. So taking a look at uh, his background, he was born in Houston, Texas, um, probably because uh, his dad uh, bounced around a lot of NHL teams, and back yeah. then he was with the Houston Arrows of the AHL. Uh, and uh, actually played with the two separate organizations, Minnesota and Phoenix. Minnesota's affiliate was uh, in Houston at the time. Nashville. Um, yeah. As uh, And he also played Nashville uh, uh, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, that explains why he was born in Houston. But uh, if you look at some of his junior hockey, it was in Quebec. And then he moved to uh, the U-17s at the U.S. Uh, National Development Program. And throughout his uh, uh, amateur career, um, he hasn't been known for his goal scoring. He's been known mostly for his passing ability. As we mentioned, 30 points in 24 games in Michigan, only eight goals. So that's almost an assist per game pace, um, Not which is, which is pretty good, again, for a guy his size uh, to be a second-round pick. Uh, you need to have a lot of skill to really get noticed. And... Um, Another good asset to have is uh, very fast legs, uh, quick, someone who's quick on their feet. And he's got exceptional speed. He can protect the puck very, very well. Uh, all key traits in the offensive zone that you need to survive in this league. Um, he can carry the puck on the perimeter is actually at his best uh, when he does that. He uh, can read defenses uh, fairly well. Um, he can wait for the perfect passing opportunity. And when it matters with extreme position, he can strike. 
whether it's uh, by setting up a teammate or just shooting the puck by himself. Um, so def- definitely a wildcard prospect. Um, I don't know what his NHL upside is. Maybe a good second-line, third-line presence, depending on uh, what the situation looks like down the road. And if Thomas Hurdle is no longer in the picture, he could find himself um, down the middle of the Sharks lineup uh, faster than people think. Because Thomas Hurdle is uh, a very uh, a center that could be in very high demand uh, on the open market. So um, I think his development uh, could be impacted by uh, the Thomas Hurdle situation and um, their positional needs uh, in the next couple of years at the fact leaves town. Right. Yeah, that's possible. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting for sure. It's kind of funny too. I didn't realize that both Borderlow and Eklund are both five ten, um, and I guess considered centers. So it's it's interesting too, because usually like you want your centers to be a little bit like at six feet or above. But um, but yeah, maybe it's just like this is also a, a tribulation for the a new NHL or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that about does it for us here at uh, Lace Them Up. Our, uh, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or uh, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 287 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.